0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hi, Theory.
0: Hi. Welcome to High Theory.
1: In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Kim Adams.
0: And I'm Sharonik Bershu.
1: We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself.
0: Today we are talking about neurasthenia with Kim Adams. Kim, would you mind introducing yourself?
1: My name is Kim Adams. I'm one of the hosts of High Theory. I work at Penn State University where I'm a postdoc in the Humanities Institute. And I write about electricity and the body in 19th and 20th century American literature.
0: What the heck is neurasthenia,
1: Kim? So neurasthenia is a disease that no longer exists.
0: But not because it has been eradicated.
1: Not because it has been eradicated. And I would say that diseases that have been eradicated do still exist. Right. It is a diagnostic category that no longer functions as such. It is a disease that was quite widespread. It was thought to be an epidemic in its day. Its heyday was around the turn of the 20th century. A man named George Miller Beard claimed to discover it, but in fact, the word was used a bit earlier. And it's a nervous disease. It's a disease of the nerves. So, neurasthenia is a disease of energy depletion. People often equate it with depression in modern diagnostic categories, but I would say it's actually most similar to chronic fatigue syndrome.
0: It's a diagnostic category which the medical establishment has moved on from because it doesn't
1: apply? Or is it something like hysteria, I mean, which has a social construct? So it's a lot like hysteria. Hysteria was specifically a woman's disease, and it's very old. The name hysteria refers to the wandering womb. It comes from the ancient Greek word for uterus, hystera. It's a classic woman's complaint, and it's basically been around for a long time. And it's kind of a term that's applied to crazy women of all stripes. That said, neurasthenia shared a lot of symptoms with hysteria, but it was a gender neutral disease, or at least a specifically gendered disease. So men as well as women had neurasthenia, were diagnosed with neurasthenia and were treated for it, though the treatments were quite different depending on the gender of the patient. Uh, Beard starts writing about it in the eighteen eighties, and it's gone roughly by the First World War. Though really, what kills it is the rise of psychoanalysis in the mid-century. So I guess the thing I didn't tell you about what it is, which is conceptually theoretically interesting, is that it's a disease that confounds the distinction between psyche and soma i see right okay. so it's a disease of the nerves but it's sort of also a, a malaise of the mind okay it's understood to have a physical etiology like it's understood to be a sickness of the body right to be caused by the body but it's it's also sort of caused by the mind or it can be cured by the mind, and it traffics in a messier understanding of the relationship between the body and mind than we generally use in Western medicine today.
0: Okay, I think we have the building blocks of what it, or what it was, let's say. Yeah. Because you're unlikely to be diagnosed with neurasthenia if you go to the GP right now. So how do we use neurasthenia?
1: So I can tell you how it was used in the past, and maybe we could think about how we use it as a historical scholarly category. Yeah, yeah. This guy Tom Lutz, in a book called American Nervousness. It's a great title. Yeah, he stole it from Beard, the neurasthenia guy. (laughs) Lutz argues that Americans used the disease of neurasthenia to help them negotiate the major social changes that were occurring in American society around the turn of the century. So basically, Neuristhenia helps Americans deal with modernity. And he's not the only one who makes this argument. And Neuristhenia comes from America, and it's pretty particular to America, but it shows up in Europe. To other people who make related versions of this argument, Carolyn Tomas de la Pena in The Body Electric makes an argument about technology, electric technologies in relation to neurasthenia having a sort of homeopathic effect. And the human motor. So the guy's name is Rabinak. The book is called The Human Motor. And he makes a much sort of broader argument about energy and the history of labor in Europe, but it's related to this question of neurasthenia. Anyways, people kind of invented this disease to help them deal with modernity. There's another argument that it also helped people deal with changing gender roles around this time. So when I said that the treatments were gender-specific, women were often treated with, men too, but primarily women were treated with something called the rest cure. The classic example of this is Charlotte Perkins Gilman's short story The Yellow Wallpaper.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah. Essentially
1: women with nervous complaints of all sorts were just set to bed rest, right? And if you look at the medical texts from this period, the most famous is S. weir Mitchell. He's kind of the guy who is known for inventing the rest cure there is like an explicit infantilization of these women. And he acknowledges that it's primarily women that he treats with nervous complaints.
0: Infantilization and literal immobilization, which is
1: interesting. Yep. Literal immobilization being spoon fed milk by a nurse.
0: When you say that neurasthenia was used and, you know, the question of utility comes there. Diagnosis is of course a utilitarian conceptual equipment where you move from problem to solution in some ways that of course can be brought to bear on the problem of modernity let's say but it also I think takes us to narrative medicine if you remember in the medical humanities working group that we were both part of we discussed what does the illness narrative do what is its use so what are the narrative elements let's say of neurasthenia if that makes sense
1: Yeah, but so you're not asking me, like, what are the novels in which neurasthenia appears, but you're asking me what the sort of classic plot line of neurasthenia is. Kind of, yes,
0: yes. Because you bring in the problem of modernity, I think it Mm. kind of makes sense to talk about those two things together.
1: So neurasthenic characters are a thing. So it's often a character trait. I see, okay. The fact of a character being neurasthenic... Mm -hmm is used to mark their social role, often to mark their class Mm. status. So neurasthenia is a disease of the intellectual elite, kind of like melancholia.
0: Mm. Is there a bridge between character trope and sign of the times?
1: Mm. Yeah, so...
0: character
1: trope and this age. Yeah, neurasthenia is definitely a disease of the times, very, very much so. Right. You see in the medical texts, this is a disease of our moment. It's a disease of modernity. It's a disease of decadent civilization. So I think there's an internal dynamic in the United States at that historical moment that has to do with westward expansion and American colonialism. And so I didn't tell you what the male version of the treatment For the diseases. If the treatment for women is the rest cure, the treatment for men is the West cure. Amazing. That's a pun. People make it in the historical moment. It shows up in the criticism too. Right. But it's a rough riding cure. So the men were sent West to the Dakotas often or just generally Westward to go riding and hunting and fishing and shooting and sort of practiced manly virtues.
0: The opposite of rest. Yes,
1: absolutely the opposite of rest. And it often explicitly involved writing, whereas the women's treatment explicitly prohibited reading and writing.
0: Wait, are you saying riding or writing?
1: So the men did writing and riding, and the women <laughs> did resting and <laughs> more resting.
0: <laughs> no, no Not writing. writing. More resting and more resting. Yeah. It's so interesting because Nersinia is being used, I think, to kind of conjoin intellectual and physical activity. Yeah. And shunting it to the male realm, whereas the women are kind of literally mobilized and infantilized.
1: Yeah. I think it is about trying to put the woman back in the home when she is trying to escape. Right. But it's also about trying to put the man out of the home. So it's the fear that the men particularly... Easterners, the sort of intellectual elite of New York and Boston, were becoming too effete. Mm. There was a fear that they would become, you know, decadent like those Brits. And so they had to be sent west.
0: Which is the last frontier of masculinity.
1: Absolutely. But also like part of the reason of that is because the U.S. is actually engaging in colonial conflicts at this moment. And it literally needs to prepare these men to go govern the Philippines right it's trying to produce a, a sort of rough-riding uh, colonial imperial class right yeah and also like I mean the the like the people who did this they're not like Theodore Roosevelt was sent west
0: because of New yeah
1: and he was Interestingly, when he sort of first started as a politician, he was thought to be too effete, like he was thought to be a bit of a dandy, and he was made fun of in the press for his sort of dandified ensemble, like he wore like violet pants or something. <laughs> and, and and then so he also took ill with a nervous complaint and then went was sent west and then sort of returned masculine and fierce.
0: Prefacing my question with the bullet points of what we discussed, neurasthenia as a coping mechanism for the problem of modernity, more popular as a diagnostic term in the United States, and producing widely disparate and coercive gender dynamics. Mm -hmm. Keeping this all in mind, my final question How will neurasthenia save the world?
1: (laughs) I think actually the best answer I can give you is a sort of meta answer, pointing back to that narrative medicine question that we were talking about before. And one of the super important things that neurasthenia teaches us in the present is that medical science changes over time and diseases only work as diagnostic categories when everyone agrees upon them and uses them right and they can just vacate all of their usefulness and transform into something else but diseases are collections of symptoms and collections of etiological agents
0: maybe we should like clarify that diseases as a diagnostic concept are historically produced
1: it doesn't mean they're not real right
0: no, no i know but like i'm also saying that like medical professionals medical scientists know a lot more between 1900s and now
1: and we know a lot of different things you can think of a disease as being a little bit like money okay there are currencies in the world that are not in use anymore, right? So if you try to buy something with a coin from ancient Rome, you're shit out of luck, right? Uh, in, the same, in the same way, if you tried to diagnose someone with neurasthenia right now, you would not be able to bill the insurance company for that diagnosis, right? right?
0: So, so there's a basic difference between saying that scientists trial and error, scientists make mistakes. That is how science is produced. And saying scientists make mistakes, therefore let's not listen to scientists. Science is bullshit. Let's just inject ourselves with horse medicine. But so, scientists uh, made
1: that fucking horse medicine. <laughs> like,
0: yes, but not for COVID. I mean, this is a very pertinent moment as vaccines are being rolled back all around the country. Yeah. And like it's it's a very dangerous moment that we are signing in, but I still think that, you know, it's an important clarification.
1: And I think so too. And I stand with Bruno Latour on this. I think our knowledge of the history of science and the cultural functions of scientific knowledge makes science stronger to say that scientific truth is culturally constructed does not make it false. And it does not undermine it. No, absolutely not. And I know that social media produces a world without nuance. And I'm not saying we need to shade in the gray. I'm saying that the more we know, the better shit works. And that is true from all angles.
0: Should we talk about the fact that you have recently diagnosed yourself with neurasthenia? <laughs>
1: tell you something very amusing so in the opening pages of american nervousness there's this chart that shows the nervous diatheses or tendencies it's a sort of progression of symptoms that includes neurasthenia and one of the earliest is hay fever Mm. so if you're sneezing you know, when springtime comes around, you might have neurasthenia.
0: Thank you, Kim, for talking to us about neurasthenia.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Sharnik. And thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast picks. Sharnik Bosu and Nathan Kim manage your social media presence. Julia Erian Martins edits our transcripts. Owen Quinn composes our theme music. And Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical
0: day.